0: The following is a ministry of City Life Church in St. Paul, Minnesota. We hope you find this teaching encouraging and instructive. Perhaps you are currently a follower of Christ or are perplexed, skeptical, or even antagonistic to Christianity. Regardless, we would love to hear from you. Please contact us at info at Thank you for listening and please contact us if we can be of service to you. Peace be with you. Everyone, uh, coming to you from the south side of Minneapolis, uh, I am doing much better. Um, just thought it would be wisest to, uh, to be home this morning, so thanks for, being, for bearing with me. Uh, let's read the text this morning from Psalm 99. Uh, we are going through the Psalms uh, as we do every summer at City Life, and we are coming uh, to the end. Uh, of summer. We're at our last gasp, so to speak, Uh, and we are nailing down uh, what to preach. Uh, It should be effective, uh, we're thinking, the first Sunday of October, so stay tuned for that and be in prayer for us um, as we finalize that. Psalm 99. The Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim. Let the earth quake. The Lord is great in Zion. He is exalted over all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is he. The king in his might loves justice. You have established equity. You have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Exalt the Lord our God. Worship at his footstool. Holy is he. Moses and Aaron were among his priests. Samuel also was among those who called upon his name. They called to the Lord, and he answered them. In the pillar of the cloud, he spoke to them. They kept his testimonies and the statute that he gave them. O Lord our God, you answered them. You were a forgiving God to them an avenger of their wrongdoings exalt the lord our god and worship at his holy mountain for the lord our god is holy the grass withers and the flowers fade but the word of our god shall stand forever please pray with me father we thank you for your word and for speaking so clearly in and through it Use me now, in spite of myself, to faithfully preach your word to these precious people. And grant us grace to listen attentively and even expectantly. For we ask in Christ's holy name. Amen. As we've gone through the Psalms this summer, we've read many important lessons uh, or reasons and motivations for why we should worship God. And in this present group of Psalms, which begins with Psalm 93 through 100, uh, which Lord willing we'll cover uh, next Sunday. Uh, But this, this batch of eight Psalms focus on the Lord's supreme kingship and his advent. One commentator regarding these eight Psalms notes the alternating moods that we should recognize. One moment, high festivity, spontaneous joy. The next, chastened, hushed awe. Just last Sunday, we saw in Psalm 98, exuberant praise and joy bubbling up in those who worship the Lord. And that's including every aspect of creation who, as if standing on their tiptoes, they eagerly long for the return of the King to exercise his righteous reign. And so now, catching our breath, We come to Psalm 99, and it's very different from last Sunday's psalm. Here we pause and we step back and reflect on how exalted and holy he is, and how profound is the reverence we owe him. I've titled this sermon, He is Holy, What and Why We Worship. And here's why. Because if we don't nail down what it means to worship God and the proper motivation behind it, as the scriptures instruct us to, what's the alternative? Well, we'll end up worshiping him according to our definitions and desires. Right. The first is objective. It comes outside of us. It comes from God's word. The second is subjective. It comes from within. Fundamentally, Uh, So subsequently, although not surprisingly, what's going to happen? We'll have a very muddled understanding and practice of worship. Psalm 99 is simply and naturally broken down into two main sections, and each emphasizes God's holiness, but in in different ways. The first section captures the Lord's holiness enthroned. The Lord's holiness enthroned. Look with me at verses 1 through 5. The Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim. Let the earth quake. The Lord is great in Zion. He is exalted over all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is he. The king in his might loves justice. You have established equity. You have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Exalt the Lord our God. Worship at his footstool. Holy is he. Twice, right, in verses three and five, the psalmist exclaims, holy is he. Now, what causes him to assert it with with such exclamation? The king is enthroned. He sits high above. How high? Above the cherubim. Now, unless you're fairly well-versed in the Old Testament or maybe some classic literature in general, you might be asking, what's cherubim? Well, in popular Western culture, here's what most people think of when they hear that word. Chubby, bored, childlike, angelic beings. Faces, expressionless, eyes looking upward, they're playing harps, completely innocent, totally harmless. And it's part of the reason that many people have an understanding of heaven as being wholly uninteresting. I mean, even the angels look like they're twiddling their thumbs for all of eternity. Well, how different the cherubim described in Ezekiel chapter 1. Majestic, terrifying, awe-inspiring. The sound of their wings, like the sound of the Almighty. Their appearance, like burning coals of fire bright, and out of that fire comes lightning. He even records that these creatures dart to and fro like the appearance of flashing lightning. I'd encourage you at some time later today, read Ezekiel chapter one and marvel at these detailed descriptions of the cherubim and get a better understanding of your mind, in your mind, of, of how absolutely terrifying you be to even get a glimpse of them. Well, it's these cherubim that the writer of Psalm 99 writes about in verse 1, that the Lord sits, indeed, is even enthroned upon. He is their king. and, And if we couldn't bear to get a glimpse of these cherubim, how much more of the Lord, the one who is king, exalted over and above these mighty, spectacular, spectacularly terrifying creatures. Well, if the Lord is enthroned upon these cherubim, it's hardly surprising he is also Lord of all humanity. At verse 2, exalted over all peoples. And because the Lord's enthroned above all, ruling and reigning as the mighty king, note the appropriate response. Let the people tremble. Let the earthquake in verse one. Let them praise your great and awesome name in verse two. Let them praise your great and awesome name as well in verse three. Why? Not only because the Lord is king, but he's the holy king. Holy is he, verse three. Exalt him. Worship at his footstool. Now, what's that mean? Well, there's so much theology dripping in that phrase, worship at his footstool, that merits weeks of of a sermon series. But essentially, it's, it's a reference to Exodus chapter 25. The Ark of the Covenant was protected by the cherubim who covered the mercy seat or the atonement cover. And here, God's feet rested. That was his footstool upon the cherubim. Here we have a picture of holiness enthroned. Well, now we move on to the Psalms second half. The first is holiness enthroned, but now we have holiness encountered. Look with me, beginning with verse six. Moses and Aaron were among his priests. Samuel also was among those who called upon his name. They called to the Lord and he answered them. In the pillar of the cloud, he spoke to them. They kept his testimonies and the statute that he gave them. O Lord our God, you answered them. You were a forgiving God to them, but an avenger of their wrongdoings. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy mountain. For the Lord our God is holy. Well, here the psalmist takes the reader, originally the Israelites back to their floundering in the wilderness, right? For 40 years. The bullet points, a brief refresher course in some of, of the key people, Moses and Aaron, among his priests, Samuel also called upon his name, and they called to him, he answered them. He spoke to them in a pillar of cloud, again, repeating his response, he answered them. A God, in other words, who who isn't only the enthroned holy king of verses 1 through 5, far above us and all things, including mighty angelic beings holy is he but it's this same holy god who answers he speaks he communicates he condescends with us in this case moses and aaron who famously sinned as recorded in numbers chapter 20 israelites they're they're grumbling and complaining they're hungry, thirsty. Moses is fed up. The Lord instructs him to gather the people before a big rock. Speak to it, he says, telling it to yield water to them, to drink, and not only for them, but their cattle. Well, Moses gets two out of three, right? But instead of speaking to the rock to bring forth the, rock, the water, he strikes it with his staff, not once, but twice. And here, note the distinction between healing and and punishment the Lord forgave Moses and Aaron restoring them to a right relationship to him but consequences for their sin remained look with me at verse 8 you were a forgiving God to them but an avenger of their wrongdoing they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years and didn't enter the promised land their relationship with the Lord yes was beautifully healed and restored but their actions were still punished. And here's a lesson for us in the church today. For you, perhaps you've sinned big time and you know that the Lord is full of compassion and forgiveness, your relationship with him can be fully restored. But consequences, punishment of actions often remains and the two are not at odds with one another. Both are true. Well, the lesson for us today is clear. We mustn't shy away from receiving God's mercy. But on the other hand, we mustn't think that we can receive it without often suffering the consequences of our action. It's a fundamental twin aspect of dealing with the Holy God. We may wonderfully receive the positive aspect that is his forgiveness, Then there's the negative aspect, which is, again, suffering the consequences of our sinful actions. As the psalm concludes, this mantra of holy is he, it takes on a very different posture from communicating hushed awe, even terror, because the enthroned king is holy. But inexplicably, this enthroned holy king is something more. He is intimately personal. Look at the very last words. The Lord our God is holy. It's literally, holy is the Lord our God. Just think on this. He who is full of piercing holy light. He's sitting upon the cherubim. He is not ashamed to be our God, to identify with us as his people. Holy is the Lord our God. As we conclude, two brief points of application. First, it's to meditate. Specifically, meditate on his holiness. If you would worship the Lord, you must meditate on him as he's revealed in his word. And it's, it's easy for us to cherry pick various aspects of his character and his being, highlighting ones that we tend to like more. Maybe his love, his grace, and his mercy, all of which are, are true. But we can downplay other vital attributes, notably his holiness. Cornelius Plantinga writes that we are losing the sense of God's holiness, that our understanding and experience of his holiness is so weak that we're able to speak familiarly of the Lord while stretching our limbs or or chewing gum. And I'm not, maybe you're stretching right now and you're doing more than chewing gum, and, and, and that's not the point. Maybe it's more accurate to say that we've lost it, right? We've lost this sense of his holiness, past tense. We would do well as a church, every single person, to consider anew God's holiness and how we might recover a greater sense of and even experience of it wherever you live. And as a congregation, before the day is over, or at some point early this week, here's a challenge. Make it today. I, yeah, I know how the week goes and things, d- demands come, come flooding in. It's Sunday, so, so set some time today. How might you recover it Or and live in light of it? Prayerfully consider how you might do that. Share it with at least one person here. If you're in a life group, how might your life group better know this holy God, and and live in light of his holiness. So that's the first thing. It's to meditate. Meditate on his holiness. And the second is marvel. Marvel. Marvel that the Holy Lord, the one who is so unlike us, as I mentioned earlier, he's not ashamed to be identified with us. I mean, right now, just stop. Stop. And think about it, the Holy One, the enthroned king who's sitting upon cherubim, this king would one day become like us. Emmanuel, God with us, take on our flesh, experience our frail humanity, be tempted, as the scriptures say, as we are, yet without sin, take our sins upon himself, Jesus, the Holy One, becoming sin. So that you, and you, and you, and you, all of you, might become the righteousness of God. We, who are riddled with sin, aren't we? We are just shot through with it. Nonetheless, because of Jesus dying for and atoning For our sin, we now share in his holiness. It's incredible. It is incredible. And it is worth marveling at. Take time today to meditate and marvel upon him. Let's pray. Holy God, we praise your name. Lord of all, we bow before you. All on earth, your scepter claim. And all in heaven above adore you. Infinite, your vast domain, and everlasting is your reign. Holy Father, Holy Son, Holy Spirit, Three we name you, while in essence only one, undivided we claim you. And adoring, bend the knee while we ponder and sing this mystery. Lord, that's our prayer. This has been a ministry of City Life Church in St. Paul, Minnesota. We hope you were encouraged by this teaching. Thank you for listening, and please contact us at info at if we can be of service to you. Peace be with you.